Well, last week we talked about um, the powerful work of God as our shield. And we looked at that story of Abraham, excuse me, Abram, as he was called by God uh, to do uh, great things. Now I want us to look at the story, and we're going to look at it in two parts, one this week and one next week, though they're kind of independent stories, of uh, Abram's grandson. Abram's grandson was a guy named Jacob. And Jacob had a twin brother, if you remember the story, named Esau. And they, they had a, a complicated relationship, just to put it mildly. Uh, as you might recall, uh, Jacob, along with his mother's help, uh, stole his brother's birthright. Yay, Jacob, for stealing from your brother. Uh, he traded um, Esau a, a bowl of stew. So way to go, Esau, for selling it cheap. Uh, and in the aftermath of the offense, uh, Jacob uh, had to leave town, uh, and Rebecca and her dad, his dad, sent him off to where Rebecca was from, which is today in Iraq, but a long way off, uh, to find a wife and also to avoid his brother's wrath. And when he gets to the land, he finds uh, some animals being watered, and there was this lovely young lady named Rachel who was there. And he, uh, I guess he believed in love at first sight because he believed she was the right one for him and decided that he needed to get to know her better. He made an agreement with his daddy, a future father-in-law, to uh, work for seven years to get Rachel's hand in marriage. If you remember the story, it went by really quick because he had a goal in mind and a sweetheart waiting on him. So he thought it'd be good. But Jacob either was blind or not too bright because on his wedding night, y'all remember the story, what happened? Uh, He wakes up and um, it's not Rachel, it's Leah. I'm going to confess to you, I don't know how that happened. And I'm going to leave it at that because that just seems nuts to me. But uh, he confronted Laban about the issue and Laban says, well, it's among our people, the younger daughter can't marry before the older daughter. So I thought you meant the older daughter. Uh, yeah, Laban, you, way to go, dude. Uh, and so they make a deal uh, for Jacob to work seven more years. And at the end of the week, he marries Rachel. Yeah, this is one of those weird stories in the Bible where he has two wives. And some of you are thinking, why in the world would any man want two wives. And you could probably say, why in the world would any woman want two husbands, right? But it happens in the Bible, in the Old Testament. One of those weird stories we just kind of accept and move on because to try to explain it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I want to bring you to a passage in Genesis this morning. And I want to look at the story and then kind of come back and apply it because there's some things I think we can pick up here about God being our guide in life. So Jacob is living in a foreign land. He has two wives. He's got at least three kids at this point, maybe four, depends on the timing on it. And uh, things are really not going well. So we pick up in Genesis 31.1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban, so we'll stop right there. The sons of Laban would be Jacob's brothers-in-law, okay? So you get the family Connection here. The sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his, this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. 
Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kingdom and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of, the, of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If, I, if he said the spotted shall be your wages, then the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in my dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us. And he has, in devour, has indeed devoured our money, and all the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Father, I pray that as we look at this passage, you'd help us to see beyond uh, the cultural nuances and oddities of a story like this, when we talk about goats and sheep and two wives and all kinds of weird things. But God, show us what you want us to see here that applies to us. Because there are things in this story, God, I believe that we need to grasp for ourselves that we can understand more about how to live for you and let you be our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's five phases of this story I want to draw your attention to before we try to apply it. The first one is this. It's one that all of us can probably relate to, can't we? Jacob is struggling or has struggled with rising conflict. How many of us can say we've never had conflict in life? Huh. I think all of us have had it or in it or we're headed into it, right? We all have dealt with conflict at some point or another in our life. How do you deal with it? Look what Jacob's having to deal with. As the scene opens, we find a family caught in an ongoing conflict. And you're thinking, I've had ongoing family conflict. If I were to share some of my other family stories with you, you'd think I was completely nuts with the family I grew up in. And you could probably say the same to me if we shared kind of the odd ones, the ones that we kind of leave in the closet and don't talk about, you know, those folks in the family. I see some of you nodding along with me. Okay, we're in the same boat. We've all got these issues, don't we, in life? Laban has acted dishonorably toward his son-in-law, meaning what he's really doing is damaging his daughters. But I don't think he catches that. Jacob has gotten along with Laban for a while. They worked out a deal. He worked for him for seven years. Got snookered. We'll just leave it at that. And had to work seven more years. Things are not going well. Things are souring. I think a break is on the way between the two of them, one way or the other. And I think the straw that was the proverbial broke the proverbial camel's back came when Laban's son, his own brothers-in-law, began accusing him of taking what was their dad's. Can, can, can you imagine, you probably may not have to imagine, we've all had family squabbles from time to time, and it always seems to be centered on what? Money. Isn't that crazy? 
families get goofy about money sometimes. And you go, what's going on here? And they, there's a profit. And they say, oh, well, the only reason you have anything, Jacob, is because our dad has given you anything to have and you've turned a profit off of it and you've left us poor. There's jealousy in this situation. There's animosity going on. There's a lot of distrust going on. And while all of us have these kind of issues from time to time, Jacob's situation is really becoming a mess. Where do you turn in the midst of those struggles? And they're living with the sense, you can almost feel it as it begins to rise in the story, that they're all living where they're walking on eggshells. Be careful what you say because it'll set somebody off. Be careful what you do because somebody will get upset because the hammer is going to fall. If it doesn't go right, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get weird. And that leads Jacob to a working conclusion. The family, Laban in particular, no longer regards him highly. He says, they're looking down on us. There's a divide here. But in the midst of all of that, Jacob senses God speaking. Look at verse 3. This is kind of the short version of the vision, and we get the long version in a minute. But let's look at the short version here. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, in the middle of all of this tension, God speaks. I want you to know that's a promise for us, isn't it? That when things get tough, God is still there and he will speak. And Jacob hears from the Lord. Now, did he hear an audible voice? Maybe. Did he develop a sense of what I call an oughtness? You know what I mean by that? This is what we ought to do. This is what ought to happen. I don't know exactly how it happened. Maybe it was a still small voice in his mind. Maybe it was a shout from on high. But whatever form it took, Jacob understood clearly it was the Lord speaking to him. He says, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. And his direction is clear. I've got a path for you. God was calling him to pack his bags. Now, when Jacob showed up, it probably fit on a backpack. Now it doesn't fit in a backpack anymore. You ever moved with a wife? I'm going to leave that one alone because I want to stay married. But you know what I'm saying? When a family comes together, all of a sudden possessions begin to what? Multiply. You get more stuff. You got kids stuff. You got wife stuff. You got goat stuff. You got sheep stuff in this one, okay? And you got all kinds of stuff. He's saying, we got to do something. We're going to make a change here. We've got to pack your bags, Jacob, and go back to the land you came from. Go back home. And when he arrived, though, he didn't have much. Now he has it all. The word of the Lord, though, comes as a clear voice from a trusted friend. It's time to make a move. Oh, wait, wait. But God, if I go back, my brother's still there. He's going to want to kill me. I don't know if I want to go back. Well, you still have to go. I'm going to have to uproot my family from their homeland. This is the only land they've ever known. It's still time to go back. And even if it meant a ton of uncertainty in the moment, he was clearly called by God to do what God had told him to do, which was to pack up and go. Friends, God will speak to us in the midst of conflict sometimes and say, here's what you got to do. Sometimes he'll tell you, you got to stay. You got to work through it. Been there. I hope that's not my phone. And sometimes... I'm hearing phones ringing this morning. And sometimes he will say, I'm going to move you and get you out of it. So Jacob is struggling with this conflict. He sensed that God's speaking. Third, he then seeks family input. I want you to notice what Jacob does here is very uncharacteristic for the time he lived in. And unfortunately, often it's our 
not our character either. Look at verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. Now, I want to just stop right there because that's really the focus I want you to see. He goes on and tells them about how, you know, your father didn't regard me. God has been with me. Uh, I've served your father, but your father cheats me and yada, 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 all that stuff, okay? But stay with verse 4 because he says, Rachel, Leah, come out here to the field. We're going to talk. Now, you're going, well, yeah, it's his wives. He ought to have a conversation with them. But culturally at that time, that's not how it worked, That's not how it typically was. The husband would say, here's what we're doing. And the wife would say, okay. Notice what's going on. He seeks family input. So God has spoken clearly to him. He's spoken directly to him. He's spoken forcefully to him. And now Jacob is faced with some decisions. Is he going to obey or is he going to do something else? Is he going to go with it or what? He could have said, hey, we're leaving. Pack it up. Instead, he calls his wives out to the field. And he pulls them aside from, shall we say, inquiring minds who wanted to know to have an adult conversation about what needs to happen next. And what he does is fascinating to me. He lays out the whole situation to him. He says, here's what's going on. Do you realize what's been happening? And of course, they've been in the midst of it. They've heard it all. They've heard their brothers complain. They've heard their dad talk about her, their husband. They've heard all these situations. And he lays out what they already knew. Laban's been cheating the family. He's been swindling their husband. I mean, conflict, you know, when a spouse has to talk about situations with the in-laws, it always gets a little squirrely, doesn't it? And that's what's going on here. But they knew what was going on. They knew what their daddy was doing. They knew what he had done on the wedding night seven years before. They knew what he had done in the situation and how he had cheated their husband. And here in the midst of all this, Jacob Benz begins to talk about coats and flocks and colors and sheep and all these modeled and private. And you're going, what in the world is he talking about there? He's talking about money. See, their currency wasn't like ours. We don't flip out a bill. We flip out a billfold or a wallet and pull out a 10 or a 20 or, well, 10 or 20 won't buy you much anymore, but but a 50 or a 100, you know, now. And you go out there and you you do something. Back then, they would deal with sheep and goats. That was their currency. And he says, here, God has blessed us. And every time that, that, that Laban's tried to cheat us in that area, God has blessed us again and again and again and has worked in our lives in amazing ways. And God has worked in spite of Laban. And he's blessed us. But I want you to catch this focus here. Jacob included Rachel and Leah in the conversation. He says, I'm not alone. I need help on this. And then he goes on to share the dream in detail. Look at verse 10 to 13. He shares his dream. Now, we got the short version back in verse 3. Now we get the detailed version coming up here in these verses. Look, in the breeding season of the flock, I lifted my eyes and saw a dream. And the goats that made it with the flock were striped and spotted and mottled, mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. I have blessed you and blessed you and blessed you is what he's saying. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am, and here's our I am statement, by the way, because that's our series. I am the God of Bethel. And by the way, that's the proper way to pronounce that because it's a compound word, Bethel. It's two words jammed together, meaning El means God. Beth means the house. So he's saying, I am the house of God. I'm your guide. I'm the one who brings you together. 
I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of the kindred. Let me remind you of a little story that you all learned in Bible school, probably, or Sunday school, if not Bible school. It's Jacob's ladder. Do you remember that story? In the context of that story is kind of fascinating because when you look at it, what Jacob was doing was running from his brother who wanted to kill him, and he was going to find a wife. Of course, he ends up with two. But he's trying to get away, and he takes a, a journey, and he lays down at a place that is now was back then called Luz. Now it's called Bethel, and he used a rock for a pillow. That sounds great. And while he sleeps, he has a vision of this ladder or staircase is another way to translate that. And God speaks to him and wrestles with him and says, this is going to be the place where you're going to worship me. This is Beth El. This is your land. Now, God had already promised to Abram and Isaac and now Jacob the promised land, but he's reinforcing it for this guy. And he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a place where you're going to worship me a place where you're going to worship God for centuries. In fact, it was the place they worshiped God until David established Jerusalem some years later as the place for the temple. And I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. He shared his dream. So then the family has to respond. He's already invited him into the process. Isn't that great? It's not like he's springing it on and saying, here's what God said, good luck. He says, here's what's going on. I want you to be a part of it. Look what happens in verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered him and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left with us to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So with this ongoing conflict and with God having given him a vision and having shared his vision with the family, he waits for a response. God has been working through this situation. He's been working through the ugly circumstances of their life. He wants to bring about something better for them. He wants to bring them to the land of promise. And Rachel and Leah look around at what's going on in their dad, and they come to the conclusion it's time for a change. If God is leading you, husband, to carry us to another land, to a promised land, then we're ready to go. God works in those moments. They felt they had been sold by their daddy. Can I tell you something? That's really what he had done in many ways. And they began to feel unwelcome in the land of their birth. Their own brothers were turning against them. They have also recognized a massive wealth transfer has gone on from their dad to their husband. And they're in this situation of going, okay, God, you're at work. And they say in response, whatever God has said to you, do it. We're on board. Let's go. Now, what do you do with a story like this from the Old Testament? You could come up with an application that says this, don't marry two women. And I'm going to give you that as a freebie for this morning. Don't marry two women, guys, okay? One's enough. And vice versa. One's enough, right, ladies? I didn't get an amen on that. I thought I might. All right. But here are the three things I want you to catch from this story. The first one is this. Conflict, and we all deal with it, it always affects us. 
It always affects, there's no way around it. The first thing I want you to see from this strange story is conflict always affects us. Every single one of us in life, we face conflict from time to time, don't we? We deal with issues from time to time. And the question isn't, will I have conflict? Because we will. So the question isn't, will I have conflict? The question is this, how will I respond to the conflict? What will I do when it comes? That's the million-dollar question often, isn't it? How do you respond to it? Some become bitter and angry. They get upset. They get mad at God. They get mad at their family. They get mad at the dog. They get mad at whatever situation it is. They get mad and mad. I'm going to destroy you. Ah! Y'all know those people? They're out there. Others turn in on themselves and have self-reflection and self-doubt and self-thinking, and they begin to focus in on self and self and self. But listen, conflict always affects us. And it will always bring changes in our lives, one way or the other. See, Jacob had lived under the the growing cloud of conflict for about a decade and a half at this point. I mean, it, it has been going on for a while. And now God's about to change him and move him in a new direction. He says, I got something for you. I can easily imagine Laban never had a thought that his actions, that his activities toward his son-in-law that, that affected his daughters, that affected his grandsons in the process, would have ever had any kind of radical outcome from it and would result in this kind of move. He was just doing what he wanted to do. But he has traded an ongoing relationship with his family for selfishness. He thinks he's getting his way. And in the end, he loses his family. Laban does. How often do we do something similar to that? We become selfish in conflict. We become self-centered in conflict. We become bitter in conflict. We become angry in conflict. I got to tell you, I've been through numerous things in my life, both in this community and in other places that could have just destroyed my life if I'd let it. And some days I wanted to walk away from them, quite bluntly. But instead I said, God, I'm going to let you lead me through whatever you have for me in that. Conflict affects us. We think our actions won't have negative impact, but they do. I'm reminded of a proverb. I love the Proverbs. If you've never spent time reading the Proverbs, you need to. Here's one. He says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Now, what he's saying is you open the little valve a little bit. Uh, I got to do a little plumbing repair yesterday. I didn't call my plumber because I thought I could handle it. <clears throat> and after a trip to the hardware store and back, I did handle it and got it figured out. And I didn't kill my wife who was trying to help guide the top half of the sink as I was under the sink. But, but a little water can make a big mess, can't it? You open up a little water, oh, it's just a little drip, it's just a little drip. You let it go, a little go, a little go. What does it eventually do? Eventually a quarrel breaks out. Because things become a mess in the process. It becomes a real stinker, you know what I'm saying? That's what he's saying is conflict will affect us. It will damage us. It will destroy us if we're not careful. We may think a little water won't matter. A little comment won't matter. But it continues to become like a raging river bursting a retaining wall. I think what God's trying to tell us, don't start strife if you want to avoid it. Let's learn to listen to God. But when conflict comes, you have to deal with it, right? And we got a choice to make. Am I going to get angry? Am I going to get upset? Or am I going to let God lead? 
conflict affects us. Number two, look for God in the hard times. Now, some people are really good at this. Sometimes some of us won't look for God in the good times because we think everything's going great. We're not going to look for God. But some of us are like this. When things get tough, we just want to get upset and angry and bitter and turn away from, and we want to do our own thing, and we want to take care of it ourselves. And I want to challenge you this morning. Don't do that. Look for God in the hard times. He is not hiding from you. He is not avoiding you. He is not running from you. He is not trying to to, to go off away from you. He's right there. But we do have to be looking for him. I suspect often we miss God. I think sometimes we miss God because we're not looking for him. We're not looking for where he's at. Learn to look for him. See, Jacob was an interesting fellow. Um, he was, the irony is, is not lost on us, I hope. He was willing to, to, to deceive his daddy to get a birthright. He was okay with stealing from his brother. And he was really okay with running from consequences, even though it took him into a situation where he ends up with a multiplied family. But his actions had consequences. Because why? He found himself in a relationship with an abusive father-in-law. little irony on that one, huh? A man who was willing to deceive him to get what he wanted. And a man who was willing to steal from him, at least in years, and was willing to avoid the consequences if he could. For Jacob, it would have been very easy to not see God in this situation. He would have said, God, this is a mess. He wouldn't even have said, God, he said, this is just a mess. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. This is wrong. Laban has taken advantage of me. He has left me with this mess. He's, the brothers-in-laws are, are being uh, mean to me. They're being upset with me. And, and yet in the depths of all of this, God breaks in and says what? It's time to go home even though he's the only one that called that home. And I think that's what we need to grasp. You know, when things get tough, and they do, don't they? When things get rocky, and they do, and we're uncertain about where to go, where do we need to look? You all with me? Look to God. We need to understand that those who would intend to do us harm, it won't last They're going to fail in the end. As followers of God, we need to train ourselves to look to God in the hard times. Say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? And one of the things I've learned over the last 10 or 15 years at this point, especially, is this, that God will work in the hard times to show me things that need to be changed in who I am and adjust my attitude on things. Uh, let me confess, I haven't arrived, but, but y'all knew that. But there's been progress. You with me? And to choose his pathway. I reminded of Isaiah's passage. We used it in the prayer time just a minute ago. God reminded us in hard times, he says this, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you won't be burned and the flame won't consume you. Our God is with us in the good and the bad times, and we need to be looking for him. And then the third thing I want you to grasp from this little story is, is kind of kind of different maybe. Um, I, I sometimes look at scriptures 
with a little bit different perspective, and it's this. We need to learn to freely, and I, I took it off the slide, but I want you to write on your sheet if you're a note taker, freely share your vision. Vision. You go, I haven't had a vision. Well, Jacob did. Jacob had a vision. What was his vision? That God was going to take him back to the land of promise. And he could have held that quietly and told nobody and just said, hey, ladies, pack it up. We're leaving. But he didn't. I think there's power in this. And I want you to grasp this because I think often we act like if God has spoken to me, I don't want to tell anybody about it. I'm just going to do it. And I think that's a mistake. He could have held that vision in. He could have stored it in his mind. He could have kept it in his heart. But he does something transformational and so out of character, especially in the culture in which he lived. And often in our day, let's be honest, he didn't hold it in. He pulled his wives out to the pasture to have a conversation. He says, ladies, here's what God said to me. You're going, but what, but, but what if they had said, we're not going? What would he have done then? Therein lies the power of this vision. If it is God's vision, it will succeed. Why do we have to act like it's some secret that we've got to hide from everybody? Share it. This is what I believe needs to happen. This is where we need to go. This is what it's about. This is the only place these two ladies had ever known. This was their hometown. They were living in New Boston. You with me? It was home. And he says, hey, we're moving to Fort Stockton. I don't know why I made, chose Fort Stockton, but I did. If you've ever been there, that's a pretty exciting town. I mean, if you go very quickly, you'll hit a couple of cactus on the way through town. You know, I mean, there's nothing out there, okay? But here's what he says. We're going there. And it's not what he's doing exactly, but that's the idea. We're not going to change. And for Jacob, this, I believe, was a smart move because he says, I want to include others in the vision. Why? Because he couldn't do it by himself. He needed their help. I made a note this morning as I was reviewing. It says this, true vision lives in the light of day. If it really is God's vision, you don't have to secret it. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to keep it away. You need to share it. Let's say you have a vision to start a ministry of some kind. Guess what? You probably won't accomplish that all by yourself. You're going to need help. Share it. Bring on those who are close to you and share with them what it's about. Jacob wanted his family on board with the vision. Otherwise, it was just going to ratchet up the tension in his life. He would have known this is what God's told me to do, but I haven't told anybody, and I'm not going to be able to do it because I can't do it by myself. I can't pack all this stuff myself. And, oh, I think they'll notice when we move out of town. i got to tell them. You know, Paul talked to the church at Corinth about this. And I don't have time to go into the details of this idea of the different parts of the body and all that, but you've read the passage or at least heard the story before. And what he says here is, is important. In 1 Corinthians, he says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. You go, well, it's just me and Jesus. Okay. I'm going to take a minute and share you this. I want you to hear this. This is not... Christianity is not about me and Jesus and nobody else. Christianity is about us walking together, serving together, loving together, caring for one another together. It's about unity for the sake of Jesus and serving together in the kingdom. See, God will never guide you to do something damaging to the body of Christ or to yourself. He's going to say, here's what I got for you. God is never going to say to you, well, I think you need to go to church one day and shoot up the place. That's not God. 
Whenever you hear those stories, that stuff happen, you know that God's not working there. Why? Because that's not God's will to kill people. It's not God's will to be divisive, to tear down, to tear up, to destroy, to get. His will is for us to walk together and to serve together. And we do that when we get our vision to share it with others. The time had come for Jacob to take his family and go back to the land of promise. And when God gives you a vision, share it. Speak it. And if it's God's vision and not the pizza you had last night, God will bring support to that. You with me? And others will rally to that thought and we'll go forward with that. So where is God maybe leading you today? Are you here today and you've never met him? I would suspect many of us know him already. But maybe you're here and you've never trusted him. Maybe you need to do that. For many of us, it's not that. It's that we are trying to do Christianity one-on-one with God and nobody else. We need each other. We need community. We need fellowship. We need support. Is God speaking to you in that area? Maybe you need to deal with that. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning in our invitation. Our choir is going to sing, and I'm going to have you all not stand up. It'll be okay. I know it's different than what we're used to. But they're going to sing, and if you want to respond or need to respond, I'm going to be here at the front for just a little bit, and then um, I'll step out of the way and then come back and close the service. But if you need to respond, I'm available for you. But let's have a word of prayer before the choir sings. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the way you speak to us. But God, you don't speak to us in a vacuum where it's just for us because we're part of something bigger, greater, broader called the body of Christ. Father, I pray that as we uh, hear this choir special and this song sung, that, Father, we would respond to you as we need to. Maybe we just stay in our seat and we just pray and say, God, show me where I need to, to be more open with the visions you give. What decision do I need to make in response to that? Or maybe, God, we need to respond publicly. We want to do that. But we want you to work in these few moments. And we trust you to do so. In Jesus' name.